My name is uh, Milton Massey. Uh, my wife, Cynthia, is here with me. You can raise your hand, CD. <laughs> and uh, we are with Crew, uh, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. And some of you may be aware of that huge name change we went through. Um, and we serve particularly in the inner city. We have been on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ or with Crew uh, since 1985. And uh, we've served in Chicago uh, for over 30 years. And we work at a community center. These are a whole lot of names. You're not going to remember all these names. I know it. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, the Agape Community Center uh, on the south side of Chicago, an area called Roseland. And um, I'm actually from uh, that neighborhood. Um, came to know the Lord way back when, in 78, some years ago. And um, got involved in that ministry about a year or so, a year or two uh, later. My wife and I uh, have two uh, children. Uh, one is out of college uh, for two years, Zachary. And our daughter, Sarah, is a sophomore in college up at uh, Bethel uh, University up in uh, Minnesota. This morning, I'm supposed to bring to you the word of God. Um, and especially as we are talking uh, related to urban uh, ministry. So I want to have you do, so that I can have, give most of the time to the word uh, this morning, is have you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Very familiar passage of scripture, and sometimes when scripture is familiar to us, there's a tendency for us to smooth right over it, glass right over it, look at it and say, oh, I know what this passage is going to say, and not pay attention to really what's, what's happening. What I want to challenge you with this morning is asking you, uh, to ask God to look at this passage again, we'll begin beginning with verse 35 in chapter 9, um, to ask God to, for a moment, give you a different set of eyes, a different set of eyes in terms of how you will see this passage and how you will see uh, what God is saying, what Christ is saying uh, to those who he has charged to go into ministry. I do want to thank uh, this morning uh, the leadership. We do, we mentioned, we know uh, Keith Duff and we know Scott Cap, and you've been down to serve uh, with uh, our ministry as we would reach out during the um, Thanksgiving holiday with the boxes of love and then during the, the um, homeless care kits when we pass out uh, warm winter clothing uh, to our ministries that we serve alongside. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for uh, your love for us. We pray that you will guide and lead and direct uh, this, this time. Uh, help me, your servant, to stick with what your word says. And also, Lord God, to listen to your Holy Spirit um, as he leads, as he guides, as he directs. I pray that you open up our ears uh, to hear uh, what your word has to say. Also, I pray, uh, Father, that you would keep Satan's mouth on mute. Uh, that you would cause us to only hear you this morning. Also pray, Father, that you cause us to turn our minds away, Lord God, from worldly thinking. And then, Lord God, to resist the temptation of our sinful nature. Help us to hear only you this morning. We thank you for these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. For your hearing this morning, uh, the title of uh, the message this morning is called Eyes for an urban harvest. Eyes for an urban harvest. Taken from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, verses, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. 
and the word of God reads, Glory by and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The passage uh, encapsulates Jesus' holistic ministry approach. Verse 35 in particular describes a threefold ministry. Jesus went through all of the towns and villages. He did three things. He taught in the synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every disease and sickness. Chapter 4 of this same gospel shows Jesus demonstrating the same three components of ministry. Jesus' ministry lived out a concern and a compassion for both the physical and the spiritual needs of mankind. We in the modern evangelical church are not as confused over the issue of meeting both the spiritual and the physical needs of the lost as we, were, as we were about 20 years ago. There was a dichotomy in our minds. We figured that if we just simply preach the truth uh, to people, that that's all they needed. And yes, that is what people need for eternity. But the reality of it is, is that there's been a movement of the Holy Spirit via, via the global catastrophes that have yielded tons of evangelistic opportunities. And it served to open up our eyes to the supernatural marriage of both the physical and the spiritual needs of the every human being that every human being has. From these verses and throughout the entire Bible, God insists that we his followers be compassionate and that we passionately involve ourselves in both needs. Jesus taught Sunday school, or I should say maybe it was Saturday school since it was a Jewish Sabbath. He preached the morning message and he ministered to the physical needs of the lost. I would challenge you this morning that obviously that is what we are called as well uh, to do. If we look at 1 John 2, 6, if we remember that passage, if we claim to walk as Christ did, we should live as he did as well. Well, the main theme or the big idea, though, of this passage really is found in verses 37 through 38. It's that all too familiar plea from Jesus uh, to his disciples that we should pray or beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers, laborers, into the harvest fields. Well, why? Why is there such a plea? Well, I believe the answer is plain in the passage. The harvest of souls is so ripe that Jesus knew the work needed more than 12 people to handle a task of such global proportions. Notice his challenge. It's directly before chapter 10 when he calls the 12 to, uh, as disciples to himself, and then he gives them divine authority to drive out spirits, evil spirits, and to heal every disease and sickness. You can look when you see uh, chapter 10, verse 1. This is the same ministry that he performed as, G as he himself went from city to city. Well, while the thrust of this passage um, is the need for workers in the global harvest, let's not miss the other lessons that can be gleaned from this passage. I believe Jesus 
one of the disciples and us as his disciples to learn at least three other lessons for effective harvesting of souls. I believe that these, these lessons are necessary for being involved in his service, no matter if your focus is abroad or if it's domestic. But if your focus in particular is urban and cross-cultural ministry, which I'm hearing in your missions, and it's, it, it's obviously the emphasis over this last week or so, if, if your emphasis is urban, then I believe there are at least three lessons from this passage you want to apply. So let me forecast three of them, particularly if we look at um, verse 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So consider these three particular ways to see urban ministry. One is cleared up, cleared up eyes, having eyes that are cleared. The second would be having compassionate eyes. And the third would be Christ-centered eyes. So cleared up eyes, compassionate eyes, and Christ-centered eyes. Well, let's look at the first one, cleared up eyes. As we think again of uh, Matthew 9 here, and then um, 30, kind of part of this verse of 35, and then also if you look at um, if you would just jot down John chapter 4, verse 35, there's a, there's a connection. Again, here in verse 36, Jesus saw the crowds. And the New American stand, Standard renders it, uh, this, part of the word, this part of the verse, this way. And seeing the multitudes. I believe that because of the total composite of the way Jesus carried himself and who he is and his example, he, when he looked at the multitudes, he saw more than just a mob. People weren't just some big skid of skin to him. Jesus looked with intent, and he saw that the fields were ripe for harvest. A similar verse in John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says, Do, not, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And in that particular, ver in that particular verse, Jesus is using an, an agricultural example so that the people could be able to identify with him. But here, in that same passage, and he's challenging the disciples to look harder, to look deeper, to see the fields of souls ripe and ready to be brought into the kingdom. I believe Jesus in, the, in, in this Matthew passage is demonstrating that he, that what he challenges the disciples to do uh, as well in the John passage is to see the same way he sees with cleared up eyes. Let me ask you this question this morning. What do you see when you look at the crowds or the multitudes of people in an urban environment or in whatever part of the community or part of the, the country that you're in you know, how do you see people? How do you see crowds? I know from being in ministry for a very long time, it is easy for me just to look right past people. And even in, in, the, in the inner city setting, sometimes you're trained not to make eye contact with people. Just to look past them because you don't want to engage because there's this concern that maybe they might ask you for something. That's the reality. That is a reality. And, 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 the, and the longer you're in ministry, sometimes you can get hardened to that. 
But Jesus looked at people beneath the surface. How do I see people is a question this morning on the table. Must we be challenged to open our eyes as Jesus challenged the disciples? Maybe the crowds are just one big ocean of bodies to us. And God wants us to learn how to see people as individuals. Take a closer look. The multitude is made up of individuals needing to be harvested. Individuals that need the hope of glory for the hopelessness they experience. What's blocking your vision? Is there anything blocking your vision this morning? Why can't you see individuals in a crowd if that's a struggle? Have you ever been, have you ever been so close up on something that the statement, if it had been a snake, it would bit you? You're looking right at it and you can't see it? Sometimes things get in the way of what we're really looking for. I remember one, one morning doing a project around the house, and I was trying to find my red, bright red toolbox. Looking for this toolbox right in my face because right in front of it was this, block, this cardboard box, and I couldn't see the red toolbox. As soon as I moved that box, oh, boom, right here. There's the red toolbox. I had to take a look behind the box. I had to be willing to do what I would even challenge us to do, not put people in a box. Because you know that box that we tend to put people in. It's that box that is either the color of their skin. It's that box that is their social class or whatever other way we might tend to discriminate against other individuals. But see, if I'm really willing to look deeper and harder and honestly, and even look deeper and honestly with inside myself, I would find an unwillingness to take the individuals in that crowd out of the box that I tend to put them in. I knew if I did that, that individual would no longer be a member of the crowd. That individual would now be someone who has pain, some suffering, some issues going on that I've got to now try to identify with. I know, not, I know now when I look at that person deeper, that person is not just some loser with no name, no value, or no purpose. Open your eyes. I believe that is a challenge. The field is ripe for harvest. Do I fail to put value on people who are, who, who are um, actually individuals? Because if I don't put value, if I put value on them, then it might remind me even of my own pain. My friends, this morning, I want to challenge you. Open your eyes. See the pain that people are experiencing. Feel that pain. If you don't, then it's going to continue to be difficult for you to have eyes for an urban harvest. The fields are ripe, ready for harvest. Maybe like blind Bartimaeus, we need to ask the Lord to heal our sight. We first need cleared up eyes, eyes for an urban harvest. But the second way to look at, I believe again from verse 36, or the kind of eyes we need to have is compassionate eyes. Jesus had compassion on those he saw. He said, the scripture says, because they were harassed and they were helpless. I want to define compassion in a minute or so, but I really want to be real, real, real careful here. Because after being in ministry for years in the urban setting, I'm just going to say it 
may make you mad at me, but that's the deal here. I may be only preaching it one time, and that's just it. I'm going to be doing my best at this point. Bottom line is, we don't need people in ministry who have just bleeding hearts. We don't. Because, see, Jesus said some of the hardest things to people in need. If you go back and you study the Gospels, Christ said some very hard things to people. And the, and the sad thing in America is that the way we paint Jesus is as if he's a punk. As if he was some wimp who did not say things that were truthful to people while at the same time he exercised compassion toward them. Sometimes the most compassionate thing we can say to a person or present to a person is truth. Along with, yeah, you can say amen. You make me feel confident if you said amen. You can say amen. Um, I say it myself, but you don't. Um, <laughs> um, I think some of the most compa- I think some of the most realistic and compassionate things you can say to a person is the truth. People need to hear that maybe there's sin going on, or maybe you've not made some choices that are wise, or maybe there's some other help that maybe we can we can walk alongside you to get. So when I speak about compassion, we give the, I'll give the, the um, dictionary definition of compassion. But just be careful that when you decide to, if God is calling you into ministry, if God is calling you to be a part of what you're, you're doing here with the whole missions emphasis or whatnot, and God is calling you to urban ministry, please leave the bleeding heart at home. Come with a sense that you love people, but understand something. You're just as poor as anybody that you served that was, that was, that was economically poor. Because if, you're, if you don't know Christ, or in other words, when you didn't know Jesus, you were poor of soul. And the real richness came when you came to know Jesus Christ. That's when you got rich. Oh, we starting to sound like I'm at home now. <laughs> but here's the reality of it here. Here's the reality of it. We cannot ignore physical needs. Jesus didn't. But when he healed the woman at the well, when he, when he talked to the woman at the well, he did, not, he did not avoid telling her that five of the men she was staying with were not her husband. He didn't avoid saying that to her. When the woman brought to him in adultery, he said, neither do I accuse you, but he did say, go and sin no more. When we go into ministry, and it's in an urban setting, I strongly encourage you, make sure that you love on people by also being courageous to say what's truthful. Don't avoid it. Ask God for his timing, and he will. He'll, he'll give it to you. He'll give you, the way, he'll give you the way to see it. He'll give, you, he'll give you grace to be gracious when you communicate, but just realize that God cares for people more than we do. He does. He had compassion on them. What is compassion? According to, I've, I've given you my bent on it. It does mean to be moved as one, as one to, in, in terms of your insides. It means to be moved to the point of action. It's frequently used of how Jesus responded toward those in a state of suffering, individuals and crowds, to be moved to the point of doing something about the need, not just saying, oh, that's sad. Pity. People don't need pity. They don't need pity. We all need grace. We all need mercy. And we also need truth. We must be careful not to, be in, not to involve ourselves um, at the risk of hurting people. Sometimes you can help to the point that it hurts. Within crew, uh, our ministry, we, we've learned to align ourselves with this particular perspective of what poverty actually is. By this, um, this, this author by the name of Bryant Myers, 
wrote a book called Walking with the Poor, Principles and Practices of Transformational Development. I can give you the title again later, but Bryant Myers is the author, Walking with the Poor is the title. He gives this definition of poverty. He says, poverty is the result of relationships that do not work. They are not just, they are not for life, they are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meaning. The absence of shalom in all its meaning. And referring to justice, um, our ministry, um, we would agree with a dear friend and partner, uh, pastor uh, by the name of Eric Mason. He works with millennials in the inner city of Philly. His view of service in the inner city is that we're not called to do what's called, this new term called social justice. That's really, that's really not new. But he's called instead, he says, to what's called comprehensive biblical justice. Comprehensive biblical justice. What does that mean? It means this. Comprehensive, in other, in other words, you bring the light of the gospel to bear on a person's situation no matter what state they're in. You bring the gospel to bear. In other words, everybody needs the gospel. That's the point. People need to know that Jesus is their only hope. But as they know that he's their only hope, that Jesus also will be willing to walk with you through whatever your practical need is and help you get there. But most of all, he doesn't want you to just be a welfare center still on your way to hell. He wants to make sure that you know him, yes, and that you have physical needs met as well. But most of all, that even when you have those physical needs met, you're still going to wind up going to heaven. Jesus saw the crowds with compassion. He saw the individual with compassion. His pity moved him to comprehensive action. And what resulted? A shameful and a criminal's death on the cross for him, but provision of salvation for the world. Jesus saw the crowds as those who were suffering. He saw them as harassed, or that is, bullied, shoved around, oppressed. He saw them as helpless, unable to rescue themselves or escape from their tormentors. And the tormentors in this case were the religious leaders that judged and misused the poor, made class and value judgments of them. Sadly, tormentors are often us as believers who ignore the loss in the urban setting as if they're invisible. Sometimes tormentors are what I call shaky shepherds, spiritual leaders of ministries that only use the poor to, as showpieces to raise money. I remember, I remember a lady that my wife spent a lot of time, Sister Compton, working with. She was a great-grandmother. She was a great-grandmother of some girls, that we, of, of some children that went to our, um, part, of our, part of our ministry. And Cynthia got wind that this ministry that Another ministry that was working with her was taking this lady's money, and she was on a fixed income. You want to see that lady get ticked off? Do something unjust. unjust. Cynthia worked alongside with this woman and, uh, and some other situations and got the situation turned around. But it was a ministry that was doing this stuff to this lady. Totally ticked us off. That's, that's what I call a shaky shepherd. Sometimes... The tormentors are simply leaders that mistreat the ones they're supposed to serve. The question again this, this morning for us is, how do we see the crowd? Do we just have pity, seeing how sad the situation is, or are, or are our insides moved to the point of what, what I would call comprehensive action? Will you commit yourself to go and serve in real partnership with others who are called to present the gospel 
among those in the city trapped in spiritual and physical poverty. Do you see the suffering? I believe this church does see the, the suffering and the pain of people in the city and, and of people in the city around you here. Do you see that people are unable to rescue themselves or find the way of escape from their, torment, their tormentor, Satan? Once our eyes are open, we must see people with compassion, moved in our insides to the point that we outwardly act on it. Some of the rewards of being involved in, in ministry uh, in, in urban setting for a, a while is to see or hear about people you have worked with or you have saw come, you've seen come to know Christ and seen them begin to grow in their faith, come back and tell you that what you did was not a waste of time. I remember one young man that my wife ran into, uh, he's now serving as a youth worker in a local church. He simply made it a point to tell Cynthia, to tell me, keep doing what you're doing. It pays off. It does pay off. We're called to compassionate commitment, not condemnation. Eyes for an urban harvest. The last point to think of this morning is Christ-centered eyes. Verse 36 again says that they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. The phrase in this verse is a metaphor that Jesus is using to emphasize the critical need for the only true spiritual guidance that he as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd of our souls, can provide. Jesus is using a, a, a comparison that was common for that day because truly good shepherds took care of their sheep. Leaders were often compared to shepherds, and this language that Jesus is using here there's a cross-reference with a passage in Ezekiel uh, 34, verses 1 through 6. In that passage, the prophet Ezekiel renders a strong rebuke to the leaders and shepherds of Israel for their lack of proper leadership in the lives of people. The leadership was so poor, it was as if the people were without a shepherd. And that is the point Jesus is making here. He recognized that the people are lost without the proper spiritual guidance that only he can give. We have people uh, going to every other source for spiritual guidance rather than Christ. Sadly, Christians also send people to the wrong sources. There's enough junk out here to confuse everybody. And the sad thing is that sometimes people are getting confused even in the church. There's a smorgasbord of shaky shepherds and unreliable experts to get guidance today. But my encouragement to us is to make sure we keep pointing people to Jesus. Because I still hear, hear him bidding us to come to him for rest for our weary and heavy laden souls. I still hear him saying that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I still hear his inaugural speech in Luke chapter 4 verses 18 through 19 where he says, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is declaring to us that he is the one whom the lost, the poor, and the captives need in order to be truly free. I still hear Jesus preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. When the last time you heard anybody preach on repentance? Telling people people need to repent, to turn. 
after Christ clears up our eyes and gives us compassionate eyes, we must remember to see the answer uh, to the crowd's lostness and pain and poverty is centered in Christ. It's got to be a gospel-centered answer. They need Jesus. Foundationally, people still have a spiritual and God-shaped vacuum, as Pascal said, that only God can fill. Through a personal and a vital and a holistic relationship with Jesus Christ, the harvest is not spoiled, but the lost are instead redeemed. We must be courageous and bold enough to preach and present to the people in the urban setting their need for the relationship with the Good Shepherd. We must never be ashamed of this message or the messenger. And in this current culture, I recognize that being biblically correct may one day have us all going to jail. But we stand at a precipice, a threshold, where still preaching the truth is still what Christ wants us to do. Our message will never be politically correct, but it's going to always be biblically correct. That's what people in the urban city need more than anything, the power of the gospel, the power of God in their lives. They need to be pointed to and led to a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And after over 30 years of ministry among the urban poor, God is still teaching me lessons about personally interacting with people and being faithful to preach Jesus and then to partner with inner city pastors and, and, and ministries that, that want to make a difference in the urban setting all over the world, and all, over the, all over this country and all over the world. Well, how's your eyesight this morning? As I close, how's your eyesight this morning? Do you have eyes for an urban harvest? Are you willing to bring the comprehensive hope of the gospel to the city? Are you willing to join those who have already committed um, to seeking peace for the city? Can you commit yourself to comprehensive biblical justice? The city is beckoning for the people of God to have eyes for an urban harvest. Will you bow with me as we pray? Father, there may be people in this room who you whose hearts you have pricked, who you want to challenge, who you, want, who you are drawing to ministry, to serve you, whether it be full-time or whether it be, Lord God, just simply the outgrowth of their commitment to you. Who in this room, Lord, um, are you speaking to this morning? Who are you speaking to? Will you make it clear to each individual here, what you're saying? And would you begin to open up and create the steps so they might, Lord God, serve you, be involved with serving you all their lives? Whether it's full-time, whether it's part-time, or whether it's simply, again, just an outgrowth of their walk with you in their everyday life. Lord, you told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's your harvest. You're the Lord of that harvest to send forth laborers. So will you raise them up from among this congregation and these congregations that have come together and congregations, Lord God, that we have the opportunity to speak to across this city. Raise them up for your harvest.
And you might see, Lord God, souls come in to know you all their lives and to continue in that process. Now keep us, Lord God, as we depart from this place. Keep us in your mercy. Keep us in your grace. Keep us, Lord God, um, hungry, excited, Lord God, and willing to obey you, our master, our Lord, our great shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.